0: We hope this explanation of God's word enriches your life. To help you understand the audience for this talk, we suggest you read the context material on the About Us page. Please read also our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material from philipjensen.com. The following sermon was given at St. Matthias Family Church, where Philip Jensen was Senior Minister. Now we return to the Sermon on the Mount and to a favourite passage for many people. It's a passage of encouragement and of very plain speaking. Verses 7 to 12 are the passage that we have in mind this morning. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. It's an encouragement to pray and it's easy to make people feel guilty about prayer or about lack of prayer. But this is not a passage commanding us to pray so much as encouraging us to pray. For all who ask receive, who seek find, who knock the door will be opened. What a great promise. And it's a promise that is based on the character of God, our Father in heaven. There is also before us in verse 12 a command to do. So in everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It's the famous golden rule of Jesus, not totally unique to him, though he seems to be the first to have expressed it in just these words. Now, as always the case, we need to read these words of Jesus in their context. The trouble here is that though the words are fairly plain and without any problem, the context is quite complicated. For you see in verse 12, the first word is so, so, in everything do to others. That is, it's a conclusion, like the word thus, or therefore. But what is the conclusion? What is it concluding? It doesn't seem to conclude verses 7 to 11. 7 to 11 encourages us to pray, because our Heavenly Father knows the things that he's going to give to us. He's going to give to us good gifts, therefore do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It doesn't actually seem to flow from verses 7 to 11. And so some suggest that it's actually the conclusion of the whole section verses 1 to 12. Others suggest it's the conclusion from way back in chapter 6 verse 19 through to seven twelve, And still others suggest that it's the conclusion from right back in chapter 5 verse 17 through to chapter 7 verse 12. And that at verse 13 we have a new section to the sermon. Well, it could be verses 1 to 12. You see, verses 1 and 2 are talking about judging. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And therefore, a conclusion that would flow from it would be, do to others as you would have them do to you. As you want others to judge you, so judge them for the judgment with which you judge others is the judgment by which you will be judged verses three to six talk of judging others in the picture of the the the, the speck and the plank in the eye and not giving to dogs what uh, uh what is holy and then there is the seeking god's wisdom in judging seek ask knock and so verse 12 then is a summary maxim on how to treat people, especially how to judge them. It's possible that this is the summary of that section. But the context could actually start back in chapter six, verse 19. This could be the social issues section of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter five has told us about keeping the law and how we're to do that from the heart. Chapter six, one to 18 about our prayers and our fasting and our giving. And verses 19, 19, through to chapter 7 verse 12 how we deal with money and how we deal with our neighbors the rest of chapter 6 19 to 34 is how we deal with money and verses 1 to 12 of chapter 7 how to deal with our neighbors there are striking parallels between the two sections so in each of the sections starts with an exhortation 619 do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and chapter 7 starts off with an exhortation uh, do not judge or you too will be judged and then both of them are followed by a couple of parables parables about the eye in particular the eye is the lamp of the body and your eye that's good and, or here again do, why do you look at the speck and your sawdust in your brother's eye so there's a couple of parables and then followed by the parables is an encouragement about our heavenly father In verses 25 to 34 of chapter 6, it's about the fact that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. will provide for you everything that you need. And here in this section, verses 7 to 11, again, is about our Father giving good gifts to those who need it. And so our section this morning, verses 7 to 12, is this encouragement. And encouragement is needed because the demands of the sermon are so great. The encouragement we receive is the knowledge of God as our heavenly Father but still others suggest that, no, no, the summary really is a summary of the whole of the section from chapter 5, verse 17. If you go back to 5.17 and look there, you'll see Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. He then sets out how it is that he was fulfilling them and he wanted his disciples to be fulfilling them, keeping the law from the heart being sincere in their giving and in their praying, seeking God's righteousness and his kingdom, not being judgmental and condemnatory about your neighbour and right through to chapter 7 verse 12 where you get the first reference again to the law and the prophets. So then in everything do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. So verse 12 is the kind of summary of that whole big discussion about how living in the kingdom will be living and fulfilling the law and the prophets. Well, if the context of this passage is a little hard to work out, the good news is the words aren't. The words are fairly plain and straightforward. So let's return to the message for today and the encouragement it is to pray and the command to do. Firstly, the encouragement to pray in verses 7 to 11. Verse 7 looks like a command to pray, ask, seek, knock. But it's not so much a command to pray that we can feel guilty about failing. It's an encouragement that in our prayer, God will give. God will be found. God will open up. Notice the explanatory promise with each command. It will be given to you. It will be open to you. He will find This is not a command to ask, to really ask, to ask earnestly, to implore, to go on asking, to ask intensely, to seek genuinely, to seek deeply, to knock until your knuckles are red raw. It's not a command that you've got to really work at getting God to give you something. No, no, it's the exact reverse. This is the promise of God giving freely, generously, to everyone, to anyone, to those who ask, it will be given To those who seek, they will find. To those who knock, it will be opened up. So notice the arguments which are used in verses 9 to 11. Firstly, the negative argument of verses 9 and 10. We parents, we fathers in particular, we don't fail our children. A child asks us for bread, we don't give them a stone. They ask for a fish, we don't give them a snake. We are evil, and yet we know how to do this for our children. We know how to do the right thing, how to give generously to our children. We wouldn't do these evil things for our children. Notice the assumption of Jesus. We are evil. He doesn't say also we are evil. He says you are evil. You then, though you are evil, he says. Uh, It's not surprising that Jesus shares the Bible's view of the sinfulness of human nature. We are evil, and yet our evil has not reached such a state that we do not give what our children request. We are evil in a way that Jesus was not evil. That's why he will say, you are evil. He doesn't say we, like I will say we, because I want to be included under the brand name evil, because I'm also evil like you are evil. Jesus says, you are evil, yet though evil, you still know how to give good gifts to your children which leads to the positive argument in the next verse. How much more then? How much more will your Father in heaven? How much more will the righteous, perfect Father? How much more will the heavenly Father who knows no evil? How much more will the heavenly Father give good gifts, give to those who ask him? We who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children. Our Father in heaven will certainly be giving good gifts to those who ask. Here is the very heart of Christian prayer, the doctrine of the fatherhood of God. We're to ask God as our Father, the Father in heaven, the righteous Father, for whatever we wish the powerful Father, the generous Father. We're asking him to provide us as our Father what we ask, what we seek, what we knock. And we are to be assured of being heard, of receiving, because he is our Father. Again, notice Jesus keeps a distance. He doesn't say our Father, he says your Father. He is the Father of Jesus also, but in a different relationship for We are adopted into the family of which Jesus is the one and only true son. It was some years ago, right here on this spot, actually right there, that I discovered the profound difference between Christian prayer and Muslim prayer. Sometimes you're really thick and you just don't know the obvious. But a Muslim had become a Christian and was become a member of our church here. And I asked him about the things that he'd seen that were different, that attracted him about Christianity. And he said, well, one of the things that really struck him and startled him, amazed him, was that we prayed. And I said, yes, well, we prayed, but Muslims pray. He said, no, no, Muslims never pray. And I said, but Muslims pride themselves on praying. They pray five times a day. He said, I always prayed five times a day, but he said, I never once prayed. He said, in Islam, you recite words of the Quran, You bow, you face the East, you go through certain rituals, but you never pray because you never, ever think that God is listening to what you have to say. You never express what's on your heart to God. You never ask God. You just recite words of the Quran." He said, it's a mistranslation to talk about Muslims praying. We don't pray. Christians pray. Christians talk to God who listens to them. Christians talk to God as their Father who cares for them. Christians talk to the God who, as the Father, provides for them in response to what they're asking. He says, Muslims don't understand anything of that. It's completely different. It's funny how you can use a word, can't you, And Muslims praying five days, and actually mean a completely different thing by the activity. And yet there are sometimes people within Christianity who pray like Muslims, aren't they? Rattle out words but don't actually talk to a father who is their father, who is listening to them as his children and giving in response to what they're asking like why even we fathers, evil as we are, know how to do. Jesus in these lovely words if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him notice what is promised here good gifts not everything we ask for but good gifts for not everything we ask for is good is it sometimes in our stupidity we ask for a stone instead of a bread we ask for a snake instead of fish God our heavenly Father will give us whatever good gifts we require what are these good gifts a car a boat a house clothes, food, education health water view I don't want to limit in any way the scope of God's generosity. But what in terms of the Sermon on the Mount, in terms of the coming of the Kingdom of God, in terms of being fishes for men, what would constitute good gifts? What is Jesus promising? What would we be asking for seeking and knocking? There is a slight difference between Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel here would gives us something of a clue I believe if you look at verse 11 here before us as you look at it let me read to you Luke's version of the same verse if you then though you are evil know to how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him a striking difference isn't it in Luke it is the Holy Spirit that is promised to those who ask and seek and knock now while God will give any good thing that his children require and ask for yet in the light of the coming of the kingdom it is the power to live as the salt and the light in a dark world an evil world that we need that God's children need that the fishes for men need for how can we fulfill the law and the prophets we who are evil and stubborn and rebellious and who reject the word of God and want to go on living our own way how are we to fulfill the law of God from our hearts how can we live differently to the world around about us by obeying God's word and doing righteousness sincerely and in storing up treasures for in heaven not here and not being judgmental but discerning. To do all this we need God's help. To live this way we need God's assistance. And God's gift of his spirit, the spirit he promised in the law and the prophets, the spirit of the kingdom of God, is the great good gift that will enable us to live as the fishes of men, as the light of the world, as the salt that has not lost its saltiness. So we will then be able to do the command that God gives, the command to do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's a simple maxim, a simple principle or rule of conduct and its simplicity sums up most circumstances of life, doesn't it? That I should seek to do as I would have other people do to me. It's very simple, it's very straightforward. Helen and I were talking this morning over breakfast of the, 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 the shock, the horror, the surprise that now comes from shopkeepers. If you return products these days, they generally don't snarl at you. They generally will give you your money back because the public relations is worthwhile. There are some companies like McDonald's that if you complain, they'll immediately provide without any questions asked the same product that you wanted before and there won't be any hesitation because they have learnt the value of good customer relations and public relationships but they are still shocked, they are still amazed, they are still horrified. When customers ever return to say, you've made a mistake in our favour, you gave me two instead of one, here it's back, you've given me the wrong change, you gave me too much money. That they hardly ever can cope with for it is so rare, it is so bizarre, it is so strange that people would actually come back and give something back. Recently a mail order company sent Helen two things. They just made a dispatch error. She sent it back without any trouble. Put it back in the envelope, sent it back, just saying you would already sent this to us. They actually rang up to thank us. It was such an extraordinary thing. They couldn't believe that somebody would do such a thing. It is so unusual. To live differently, we need God's Spirit. And yet to live differently is just to live the way we all know we should. That is to do to the others what we would want them to do to us. For if you're a shopkeeper, if you're a business person, if you make a mistake, it's simple enough, isn't it? You'd want people to return things and yet they don't. It always is the other way. I had a stand-up fight in England once in a restaurant. I try not to do these things, I try to be very polite and I tried very hard to be polite this time. But the waiter or waitress, I cannot remember which, it was in a little chef, if you've ever eaten in a little chef, got the bill all wrong. Obviously there was a defect in mental arithmetic in their education and it was all added up wrong. And so I pointed this out. Well, Being a colonial, I obviously didn't know anything about mental arithmetic and clearly could not have... got. I was in error, not they. And so there was this first stand-up and I insisted I was right. It was not a huge amount of money, but it was wrong. They called the manager. The manager came out quite aggressive. I was clearly in the wrong. So we sat down with a calculator to get it right. It wasn't a big arithmetic sum, actually, And when they conceded that I was right, they then noticed for the first time that I was trying to give them money rather than take money. They had spent 10-15 minutes arguing with me about the arithmetic because they were so sure that a customer would not be wanting to give them money, but be wanting to take money. Then suddenly I was the sweetened lightness all over the world. Uh, It was an astonishing kind of change of behaviour took place. But my friends, I'm not speaking here of the the, the great virtue of Philip and Helen Jensen that we will give back money. I take it's a very small matter, isn't it? I would hope that we would all do that. I would hope everybody would do that. But manifestly, everybody does not do that. Because when you do, you are treated as so strange, so peculiar, so bizarre. And yet you're only doing what you would want other people to do for you, aren't you? nothing big it's nothing great it's nothing it's just doing what you would hope others would do but to do it to live this way to live this way consistently across all of life to live the way that Jesus has taught in this Sermon on the Mount to live this way is not natural to live this way is unnatural it is spiritual And what we need to be able to do, this is God's work. So we'll be able to do the command that God gives, the command to do unto others, this simple maxim. But it's not just a simple maxim. It's not just the the basis of ethics. It's not just human wisdom. It's not just a sensible way to live. Jesus says, It's the law and the prophets. It sums up the law and the prophets because it is the law and the prophets. This is not just the wise way of living, this is God's way of living. This is God's way and God's kingdom dwellers are to live this way. This is the way for the fishes of men to live. This is the way to be salt and light in this world. A way that would require, I would suggest to you, that you ask and you seek and you knock to trust in God the Father to enable us to, to live this way. And he will give us all the gifts that we need, especially that great gift of the Holy Spirit. For when we read the Sermon on the Mount, it's easy to become a bit depressed about how hard it all sounds. It's easy to become a bit depressed about how poorly we perform For just as I can think of those times at which on a very simple natural thing I can do to others as I would have them do to me, I can also be thinking of the many times when I haven't done to others the very thing that I would like them to do to me. The times when I have been rude when I have ignored people, when I've told them lies, all the things which I would hate people to do to me and yet I've done to them. And the reading in the Sermon on the Mount fills us at times with gloom and despair about how unspiritual we are, how ungodly we are, how poorly we perform. We do not do what Jesus requires of us. We do not seem at all that different to the world around us. No one would look at us and say they are the light of the world. No one will feel our salty ways. No one would want to persecute us because of our righteousness. For we just like everybody else no different but friends the great news of the passage before us here in chapter 7 verses 7 to 12 the great news is that god is at work we are not all alone in this business of fishing for men we're not solely responsible for living differently for god will give us all that we require so seek so knock so ask because we know our Heavenly Father will give good gifts to his children. We know our Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to his children. We can trust him. Do you want to ask any questions or make comments about what i said? Paul. Yes, thank you, Paul. The question is that uh, uh, it says here that God will give to everyone, but elsewhere you would have expected that God will only be giving to those who are Christians. The everyone is assumed to be Christian here because it talks about your Father in Heaven, and so that's where it comes. Yep. Are you all on board? I wasn't here a couple of weeks ago. Phil is going to explain to us again verse 6.
1: Uh, I think the context, I think what he's saying there is just that I think there are limits uh, in the end to not to our generosity but to the way we might act towards people especially if they are really hostile towards the gospel so he's talking there about the, uh, the dog and the pig uh, especially the, uh, the dogs of those days with you know, the not exactly little lap dogs, we're talking about vicious dogs and so I think he's saying uh, although we should be uh, generous in our spirit towards people in terms of the attitude of judgement we have we need neither to be simpletons either there does come a point sometimes where we've got to withdraw from that situation and not offer that which is sacred, the gospel, the uh, the good things that we have to someone who is just vicious towards us. So I think it's just that sense in which we, we can't be... We were servants, yes, but we're not simpletons. We've got, to, we've got to be careful. There are limits sometimes when people are vicious towards us uh, as Christian people. That might mean we're still generous, we still love them, we still pray for them, but uh, I used the illustration of speaking to somebody at, uh, that very week who... Uh, I was trying to explain the gospel message to them, and uh, in, a, in a situation of wanting some uh, baptism, and they just, after an hour and a half of conversation with them, they just, they just were not going to listen. They were, they were angry, they were aggressive, they were disinterested. Uh, I, I thought, well, I can pray for this man, but I, I you know, I'm not going to go and visit him again because he just is not interested. Uh, he was vicious and angry the whole time. I think, well, what, what do I do? Yeah, so the comment is, in that situation, uh, we we withdraw quietly, but we say, look, when you're ready to listen to what I have to say, or I'm more than happy to speak with you. But with that kind of attitude, I just can't. Um, It's a waste of my time, and it's a waste of their time in some ways, because they just don't want to listen to what I have to say. So I think that's what he's talking about. We're generous in attitude. We seek to love and to serve and to pray for people. But sometimes there comes a point in which it's better to withdraw from the situation. Um, So I think that's what he's talking about. I love question time when
0: the questions go to the other people. <laughs> Any other questions you have for Phil? <laughs> Ken? The uh, golden rule, uh, thing. Gold or... there's no cross-reference to the Old Testament to it, is it just a general maxim of life? Um, now, I think it actually is a summation of the law. If you look to Romans um, 13, um, picking up, say, verse 8, let no debt remain except the continuing debt to love one another. For who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandment, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. So again there, and you can see it in Mark 10 when Jesus is asked what are the two great commandments of the law. They were trying to find within the law a kind of summary statement that would capture it all up. And Jesus comes with the golden rule. There are examples of rabbis who have come up with it in the negative form but as best we know no one had come up with it in the positive form prior to Jesus. But of course that's to know a negative so somebody might have it as being buried somewhere. I mean his mother might have told him, Mary might have worked it out or Joseph or his great uncle or his great grandfather or anybody could have come up but we don't know. The first one who's recorded saying it is Jesus but it's an attempt to summarise what the law itself is saying. it's a back to front reasoning, Norm has asked there's a great open ended promise here that God will give whatever we are asking, he he will be hearing us and he gives, and gives generously and yet the reality of the situation sometimes seems to mock that because we've asked, we've asked, we've asked we have not received, what we're asking for is a good thing, we haven't received it and so how does the reality of unanswered prayer fit in with this great promise of asking, that's the question isn't it? And It's it's a back to front way of thinking, I know, but we've got to live by the word of God, not by our experience of life. God has promised in this word by his son that he will give us whatever good things we ask for and whatever it is that we are needing, God will provide for us. Therefore, if I do not receive something, I am to assume that it was not for my good at this time. For if it was for my good, I would have received it by virtue of the fact that I have not received it, it might be a good thing, but it's not the good thing for me at this point in time. I mean, bodily aches and pains. Uh, Helen lives with a hypochondriac, and she can assure you I have millions of bodily aches and pains, and I'm always asking for relief from my bodily aches and pains. I rarely get them. I just get more. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me now in health, but it's just lack of... You know, it's comfort. I'm always in pain over something or other I can find pains that aren't there but now I ask for these to be removed they are not removed am I then to assume that God has not heard me? No, I actually know from this passage God has heard me I am to assume that whatever it is that I have got and continue to have is for my good because if it wasn't for my God, good God would have removed it so it's not a promise that you'll get everything you ask for in the terms in which you ask for it that's not what is promised it is you'll be given the good gifts that you need that is what is promised and that always comes and so it's back to front thinking because we then on the basis of that determine what good gifts we need by virtue of what God gives us And what good gifts we don't need by virtue of what we haven't been given. So it's a back to front way of thinking, but it's living by the word of God, not by our experience. I'm not in pain today. This is a good day. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your generosity. We know that all good things come from heaven, from from you. From the father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variations we thank you for the things that you do give to us for life itself and for our health for our food and for our shelter for our clothing for our friends and friendships and for the political freedoms of this land we thank you father for your generous provision of all these things but father we thank you even more for the provision of your son To pay the penalty for our sin and for your Holy Spirit, whom your risen Son has poured into our hearts, that we might be changed people, living not in this world but in the kingdom to come, living as transformed people. We thank you, Father, for this enormous change of being born again. We would pray, Father, for those amongst us who are still in the darkness those amongst us who still do not know of the forgiveness of sins that is available in Jesus who still do not know of your Holy Spirit for those who still cannot really call you father knowing that you are listening as our father to us for we are still alienated from you we pray father for your spirit to so work in the gospel in our lives that all of us might know you as our father because we have been born again by your Son's Spirit. And we pray, Father, for those good things that we need to live in your kingdom, for your righteousness and for your kingdom that we are to pursue, for the sincerity in the righteousness that we do, in the fulfilling of your law from our hearts, that we might stand forth as the light in this dark world, that our lives may be so salty as to be an affront to our society. Father we do not want to be persecuted we do not wish to suffer but yet Father we pray for the blessing and joy of standing with the prophets of old and with your son rejected by this world but accepted by you and calling this world to the salvation that you are winning for them and have won for them in your son. So Father make us the fishes for men Make us those kind of different people who live by the good gifts that you have given to us to live by. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the talks on philipjensen.com. Please check our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material on philipjensen.com.